0: Listener Production.
1: On the journey to New
0: Norfolk, Mr. Hunt stopped the FB Holden, strangled Miss Butterworth in the vehicle, and thereafter disposed of a body on the southern bank of the Derwent River. Welcome to Real Crime. I'm Adam Shand, and this is the case of Lucille Butterworth, Episode 5. In Episode 4, the coroner named Geoffrey Hunt as Lucille's killer after weighing up new evidence that was ignored or missed for four decades by police. A witness had identified Hunt's car at the scene when Lucille disappeared. He dropped a workmate at home just 10 minutes' drive away from the bus stop in Claremont where Lucille was last seen. Then in 1976, Hunt had apparently confessed that he killed Lucille when being interviewed over another murder he'd committed. And while in jail, he was alleged to have confessed three more times. To most observers, it appeared a formality that Jeffrey Hunt would stand trial for Lucille's murder. However, the mistakes made by Tasmanian police ensured that nothing would be straightforward. On March 31, 2017, Tasmania's Director of Public Prosecutions, Darrell Coates, told the Butterworth family that there would be no trial. He would not charge Geoffrey Hunt or anyone else with Lucille's murder. He summed up his reasons in a dry public statement, reported on April Fool's Day and read here by an actor. After a careful analysis of all the relevant material, I have concluded that a significant amount of evidence that was given at the coronial inquest would not be admissible at any criminal trial. I have also concluded on the relevant and admissible evidence there is no reasonable prospect of convicting anybody with Miss Butterworth's death. And knowing Coates, David Plumpton wasn't surprised he did not proceed. The public clamour for justice had made no impact on him.
1: Daryl Coates is not influenced by outside factors. Daryl Case is influenced by the law. That's just who he is. Mm -hmm. That's who he's been. He's always been a Crown Prosecutor. I think he's always been very fair. He dresses terribly. He doesn't speak that well. And to him, the law's been his life and he follows it. I have no doubt if there was a way he could put Hunt before the court, he would. But we haven't given him enough.
0: The coroner might have been certain that Jeffrey Hunt killed Lucille, but in the Supreme Court, that meant virtually nothing. A lot of the material gathered by the cops under Detective Inspector David Plumpton would simply never get into evidence in a criminal trial. People looking at your investigation, probably listening to this, thinking there's a mountain of evidence there. Why on earth can't these people get it together and charge this bloke, at least put him before the courts? But tell me, specifically, when you were compiling the brief, what were the problem areas you thought wouldn't be admissible?
1: Oh, there's a number... Time in particular. The recollection of people in 1969, as opposed to a recollection in 2011, 12, 13, 14, the significant period of time plays... uh, ..would have a major impact upon their evidence in any trial before a jury. On top of that, the evidence heard at an inquest which is admissible, may not be, and significant parts probably wouldn't be admissible, in the criminal court. The criminal court requires proof beyond reasonable doubt the coronial inquiry on the balance of probabilities, and that's a significant difference to make up.
0: The strongest evidence came from the three inmates who claimed that Hunt made confessions about killing Lucille. These inmates, Lee Wise, Philip Thoe and Philip Harris, all came forward voluntarily. This is Harris.
2: And he got talking about murder and this and that, and then he said about this uh, Lucille Butterworth that uh, he murdered before... And I said, when do you come up on that? And he said, well, I don't. They haven't found the body yet.
0: These admissions even trumped what Hunt was alleged to have told police in 1976. The confessions were made three times and each inmate who came forward was entirely independent of each other. So it could not be said the trio had concocted a story to convict Hunt, and they had nothing to gain from coming forward at the coronial inquest. Getting this testimony before a jury would be critical to the success of a criminal prosecution. Philip Harris, who I spoke to in Episode 4, would be a key witness. He claimed he and Hunt were together in the hospital at Risdon prison in 1980. In our interview, the convicted rapist remembered new details of Hunt's alleged confession, things he hadn't before told the police, including how Hunt said he killed Lucille and where it was done. And
2: I said, where did you murder her and he told me that he knew her and blah 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 He said he picked her up and was going back home to New Norfolk and he drove down a bush track, turned off just before New Norfolk and went down a bush track and she uh, she panicked and she, she started to scream. So she wanted to get out of the car, stop the car, I want to get out, I want to get out. And he stopped the car, as soon as he stopped, he strangled her. So she never got out of the car and then he, with her strangled in the car, he drove down the end of the track. And then he pulled her out of the car and he raped her. And then he, he looked around and found a rock, a fairly small one, and he bashed her head with it. And then he bagged her in the bushes and left there. Because I remember him telling me about, he said, there was mud, God's truth. He said, I couldn't drag her any further. He said, the mud was over my bloody boots. He said, so I just left her there. And I thought to myself, well, it must be near the river somewhere.
0: Harris is willing to give this evidence if Hunt is ever charged.
2: I just feel terribly sorry for the family. That's why i come forward, because people need closure on things, and that rotten bastard ought to own up. He ought to own up. Own up. His life's nearly bloody finished.
0: Own up. In the case of Philip Harris, we've gone back to him, as you know, and um, he seems to have recalled more than when he spoke to you. Yep.
1: Does that have any significance? In two ways. I think it's excellent. I think it's great. The only issue I have is the Defence counsel are going to say, as everybody else would say, what do you mean you recall things now? Why now? Well, what do you mean in 2018 you recall speaking to Adam Shand? Wonderful journalist, great person. Keep going. (laughs) But all of those things fall down dramatically when, why have you remembered extra things now?
0: And he would get a very rough go in the box, there's no doubt about that. Oh, absolutely. Indicating how significant that evidence potentially is. Yeah,
1: look, any reasonable defence counsel would see that that evidence is particularly damaging to any defence and therefore try and destroy that evidence before the jury.
0: Because the Crown would have to prove that Hunt was in the hospital at the same time in Risdon as Mr... Harris, Absolutely. And we've got a general understanding he was there, but we lack the documents.
1: Exactly. The prison hospital isn't just a room. It's a number of cells, a bigger area. So for them to come in contact with one another, we'd need someone to say, not only were they there, but they were in contact. Mm. That evidence is quite startling. You say none of these prisoners knew one another. They all separate, here hunt, to them, ...say he killed a lady and on occasion indicate that that lady was a Lady Butterworth. However, the High Court has held that the evidence of a prisoner cannot be trusted on itself and alone... Otherwise, the jury is warned that it is particularly dangerous to convict on the uncorroborated testimony of a prisoner. But do you
0: think that a good defence barrister would get issues like the three inmates, their evidence knocked out?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. A good defence barrister would cause each and every one of those prisoners significant difficulty in front of a jury.
0: There's a terrible sense of anti-climax in Lucille's case. The file remains open, but there's no one actively working it. It sits among the 35 missing persons cases in Tasmania, awaiting some fragment of new evidence. Or maybe, just maybe, a change of heart from a suspect like Jeff Hunt. Hunt is a different matter. Effectively,
1: waiting for something to occur in his life that changes his current attitude. Nothing we did as police or the coroners or solicitors or media has done anything to change
0: that. Hunt is also a suspect in other unsolved crimes on women. As you'll recall from episode two, months before he murdered Susan Knight in 1976, Jeffrey was suspected of sexually assaulting a woman who placed an ad offering babysitting services. As the mail was drawing, and with me sitting on the
2: couch next to him wearing a negligee and matching dressing gown from my honeymoon... The male lunged
0: at me, ripping my negligee. He jumped on top of me. I screamed and was kicking and punching at the male. She made a positive identification. There are witnesses there. It looks like a felony assault um, to the casual observer. Why wouldn't Tasmania police look at opening up a case now?
1: Uh, They can, and they could charge Mr Hunt with that. Let's not just go after Mr Hunt because, hey, he got off what we argue is a murder charge, therefore we're going to smash him over everything else the victim for that needs to be in a frame of mind that revisiting that matter and giving that evidence before a court and being subject to cross-examination is not going to make their life worse than it is now. So, but i understand. Argue,
0: I understand that she was very keen back in the yeah, day.
1: Yeah, at the time, yes. Now, that would be a matter for her to consider carefully as to what she may want to do. And then what... Other witnesses may be available and the likelihood of the prosecution based on a period of time since that occurred. This
0: demonstrates the gulf between the public interest in keeping a well-known sex offender off the streets and his right to a fair trial under our system. And I guess you you can't throw out one for the other. Oh, no, absolutely. But, But there's a lot smarter
1: people than I would have to consider the implications of that. Would you charge him? I'm biased. So, <laughs> I may, but is that vindictive nature of Plumpton? That's just Plumpton. Hey, hold on. Plumpton lost this. Plumpton had one good shot. Plumpton had his chance. Plumpton didn't get there. So now he's sniping at the edges. He's sitting back. He's
0: having a shot here. He's having a shot there. That could be quite easily said. Late in the making of this investigation, I heard about other women who'd crossed paths with Jeffrey Hunt in the lead up to the murder of Susan Knight. So,
3: 76, July 76, he murders Susan Knight. Well... Between September and October the previous year a young real estate lady is at work when she receives a telephone call from a person using the name of Max Bennett. Max Bennett wants to catch up with her and he will uh, wants to have a look at a house and arranges to meet the real estate saleswoman on an area of the road known as the Lime Kilns between Hobart and New Norfolk. The young real estate woman feels a bit uncomfortable because the person using the name Bennett says to her, he'll be in a red car, but he wants her to come by herself. So, she mentions this to her manager and the manager says, well, no, you feel uncomfortable, I'll come with you. They travel out, they go to the lime Kilns. There's a person that I would argue fits the description of uh, Jeffrey Charles Hunt in this car. The lady winds down a window, the manager leans across her, speaks to who I say is Hunt, and says, are you here to meet the uh, real estate lady? The person responds, who I say is Hunt?" says, no, 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 I'm just on my way to work, I'm just on my way to work, and uh, nervously drives off, then turns around and goes back to New Norfolk. In March 1976, some four months prior to Susan Knight being murdered, another lady in Hobart advertises for a flatmate. She um, gets a call from a person using the name Jeff Bennett. They arrange to meet at her flat. She meets this person who she describes as an albino, about 5 foot 10, I argue is hunt. The end result is that she feels nervous. She doesn't want anything to do with this person. And luckily, a friend of hers turned up. So, my whole hypothesis throughout this is, prior to the murder of Susan Knight hunt had begun stalking had begun planning to at the very least sexually assault and or rape a female these two ladies in particular in particular the real estate lady was very lucky to escape
0: this is all theoretical of course the cops who knew hunt best are no longer chasing him Carrie Millhouse has left the CIB, transferring to the radio room where the overtime and conditions are better. He's only a year or two from retirement. Once the DPP said we're not going to run with it, I mean, we, we know that we couldn't do any more other than get a body or an admission, I don't feel let down at all. You know, the family, they wanted answers pre-2011, they didn't know a thing. Now, well, we can conclusively say we know what happened to her, that we, we know who took her and we believe we know where she is. Um, We've given the family that, Um, the family are satisfied with that, but the family have always wanted more. David Plumpton retired from the force in October 2015. He does some consulting work for government while he plans a foray into true crime tourism in the streets of Hobart. Not everyone is moving on. The Butterworth's nightmare is unending. At least in contrast to their earlier experiences, Daryl Coates personally explained his reasons to them for not charging Hunt. John Butterworth.
4: You know, we sat there and listened to Daryl Coates um, and, well, I suppose we, well, I did, I guess. Both Deb and I understood his reasonings behind not taking it any further. But it was very hard to accept. Very hard to accept. We want a body. We want a layer to rest. Which is... Jeez, Adam, it's only 50 years. How are we going to get that? I don't know what to say to that, Adam. I really don't.
0: Justice doesn't always end in a conviction or even a trial like in the movies. Sometimes justice is nothing more than ensuring due process has been followed, that a proper investigation has been carried out. At least David Plumpton and his team did that, while highlighting how dismally Lucille's family had been let down by Tasmania police. However, no apology could ever make up for the deeply flawed investigation over 40 years that's resulted in a killer roaming free. So what happens to a family left in limbo like this? At some stage or another, you've got to live for the living. I actually said that after
4: the, after Darryl, after the DPP had made their decision. Someone that was sitting not far away from me didn't like that at all.
0: His half-brother Jimmy was also at the meeting with the DPP. Because
4: he actually went out and said to Gary Millhouse did you hear what that bastard said in there? And Kerry said, yeah, actually, I thought it was quite profound and true.
0: The rift between Lucille's brothers has widened since the inquest. Her younger brother, John, blames his half-brother, Jimmy, and his family for stoking tensions in the family.
4: That inquest was there to try and get justice for Lucille. It wasn't a theatre for aggressiveness, which... That's how it ended up. I mean, Kate actually looks like Lucille from there to there.
0: Kate is John's daughter with his wife, Deb.
4: You look like her from there to there. Yeah, tell that to someone else. I really appreciate that because all I get is the other thing slung in the face. What other thing? That she hated my guts. Mm. I'm her blood brother, you know. They've got my blood on file at the forensics at DNA in case they actually found a bone... They could uh, attach my DNA to that bone. Yeah, so, you know, when you sit down with somebody and you're having a coffee, and that's exactly what he says to you, you feel like throwing the coffee in his face.
0: It's the monuments that Jimmy has erected to Lucille that have caused the greatest angst. There are two, one at Claremont where Lucille disappeared and the other situated at the lay-by on the Lyle Highway where Hunt was alleged to have dumped his sister's body. A pyramid inscribed with dedications from Jimmy sits atop a rough hewn stone bearing the name Lucille. It's simple. Yeah, but it says a lot, particularly your quest, Jim? Yeah. I honestly think there's, Jimmy wants to be the custodian
4: of the memory. You've obviously probably seen the memorial that there's nothing on there. Well, as far as I know, there's nothing on there of mum and dad. That is disrespectful.
0: Then there's the memorial at Claremont, which includes photographs of Jim and Lucille dancing at her debutante ball. It's in a park a few metres from where her parents planted a white magnolia tree for Lucille. Their ashes were spread under this tree, which now seems to compete with Jim's memorial as the rightful one.
4: He did his dash when he put that memorial out there for his own self-gratification, because there's one already there, and that is disrespectful to my mother. I'd go out there with a four-wheel drive and a chain, and I'd rip it down. No, you wouldn't. That's how I feel, but no, I wouldn't. You're right, Mm -hmm. I wouldn't. I'm the first one to admit, Adam... Because of his age at the time when Lucille went missing, and I've mentioned that to you, he was 32, and everything that he did, he did a lot of things to instigate, you know, searches and the lifelike poster. See, so I'm not, it's not, it's not coming from me. It's not coming from me, Adam. It's not, but he's gone too far.
0: Of the three living men closest to Lucille, John Fitzgerald seems the most resigned to circumstances. Uh, You know, John, I can see in you a sense of acceptance that I can't see in Jimmy. Well, what else can you do?
2: Mm. Uh, Jimmy's flying around in a different way to get answers, and he won't get them. And people are starting to wake up to the fact that he's out there and he's... It's like as if he's looking for sympathy...
0: the Family Feud demonstrates the trauma that follows shoddy police work, and conversely, why good coppers are such an invaluable asset to a community. If you have evidence
2: to involve me in that crime, or if it is a crime, then you charge me. Right.
0: If you look at it from Jeffrey Hunt's perspective, the same is also true. The coroner has named him as Lucille's killer, but he may never be charged, and he will never be exonerated. The failure to fully eliminate John Lonigan as a suspect leaves Hunt in limbo also. His appearance at the coroner's court has destroyed his anonymity. Everyone knows his face now. Some would say he deserves nothing less. But while he's free, he inspires fear and loathing in Tasmania. John Fitzgerald told me that Hunt was no longer living in the north. He believes he's now residing in Hobart. But the thing that worries me is he's down in Hobart
2: now. And I was even saying to the nurses, please, when you go out, don't go outside the door of a night time by yourself. Yeah. He's tried to murder three, four women altogether, maybe five.
0: I've been told about numerous sightings of Hunt in different towns around Tasmania, that he dyed his hair and was sporting a beard to disguise himself. There was also another story circulating that Hunt had left Tasmania after harassment by the media, which had obtained his home address. And this was despite the fact that Hunt cannot leave the state without permission until his parole runs out in 2020. I made inquiries to find out Hunt's last known address and I got a result while I was at John Fitzgerald's house. Now I'm going to head up to Devon because I've just got his address and he's going for his appointment with the parole officer tomorrow. So I'm going to see if I can have a chat to him, at least have a look at him. You're very sorry. You shouldn't die wondering, I reckon. Right, I've got to get about 250 ks Let's take his house out. In truth, I didn't know what I was going to do once I got there, particularly if Hunt was around. Listening back to this material makes me somewhat uncomfortable. Even a convicted murderer has a right to privacy and I was about to invade his. On the road, I talked myself into the idea that there was a public interest in finding out whether Hunt had left the state. Righto, we're coming into which is in the north... It's a small place, and therefore everyone knows you're there and uh, you're easy to find. It's a uh, pretty dark and forbidding kind of joint out here. Really gives voice to the whole Tasmanian Gothic feel. Pretty miserable night here in I'm sitting outside the house of Jeffrey Charles Hunt. All the lights are off. Have been since I arrived about an hour or so ago. But the heating is on. Tomorrow morning at 9.30, he has to be in Devonport to see his parole officer. And I'm hoping that I'll be next to him, maybe ask him a few questions. Can't come this far without at least clapping eyes on him. The night passed without a sign of life at Hunt's home. I gave up around midnight, and hoping to catch him on his way to Devonport, I returned early in the morning, but he'd already left, or he was staying somewhere else. What a life, though. Although, you know, when I sat there and I, and I looked at his view, looking out the back window, all the, all the front was closed up, curtains and so forth. I looked out the back, and the most beautiful view of the mountains, but it's hard to suppress that feeling of, why does this person have this freedom? When, when you look at the family and the things that I've observed, the emotions, the anguish, the toll, they're in a kind of prison, he has his freedom. Is that right? At a quarter past nine, Hunt arrived for his appointment at the parole office. He was nondescript, a slightly stooped figure in hat, windbreaker and sunglasses. He threw a look over his shoulder as he entered, as if half expecting someone to be waiting for him. He set off at a brisk, purposeful pace, but his destination became less certain the further he walked. He wound his way through back streets, seemingly at random, crossing roads and then crossing back, ducking into side lanes and then out again. A few times he just stopped and peered backwards up the road. Mr Hunt didn't respond to our request for an interview and wouldn't answer the door when we visited his home. At least one media outlet had already staked out Hunt since the inquest. The DPP's decision not to lay charges has thrust him back in the spotlight and others like me will come to sniff around. As I trailed behind him, it struck me how vulnerable Hunt was. And it's not just journalists that he has to fear. If I could find him, then others with more malignant intentions could also. Since being named as Lucille's killer, Hunt has been a virtual recluse, seldom seen by his neighbours. I wondered whether he might be better off in jail. This is no kind of life. Once he finishes his parole in 2020, he'll be free to leave the state. He'll be 70 then. Hunt led me down towards the port, but just before he turned into the community health centre and disappeared into a door leading into an admin area. I rushed down to follow him inside and almost bumped into him as he emerged. He got into a waiting vehicle belonging to the community health service and driven by a middle-aged woman. My chance to speak to Jeffrey Hunt had passed, but a picture would prove that it was him that Hunt had not left the area as had been rumoured. I walked to the exit of the car park as the car turned around. I gambled they would turn left, and I got it right. There in the frame, under the stockman's hat and sunglasses, was the man I'd seen in media coverage and in court files. I took it back to Jim Butterworth for confirmation. Now, I want you to look at this photograph and see if you recognise that face in there. Yeah, that's Hunt. That's Hunt. Yeah. Well, I took that this morning. You never. I did, Yeah. yeah. Where? In Devonport. In Devonport. Hmm. So he hasn't left his uh, residence that we know. Now, in your heart of hearts, Mm -hmm. do you think this will ever be solved? I
1: hope not, but in the heart of hearts, it's a black hole that says no. It's got to be solved by confession or by Lucille's remains being found. Not another corroborating witness? Oh, absolutely. Look, phew, solve it. Yeah, OK. Technically, you could argue it's just about solved now, isn't it? Mr Hunt's been found by a coroner to be responsible for the death of Lucille Butterworth. People can hang their head on that. Yeah, great. I don't hang my head on that. The issue is Hunt may have been responsible, but until he confesses or we corroborate that, and in particular...
0: Discover where Lucille's remains are, this matter will always remain open. At least now, the terrible inertia in Tasmanian police that meant Jeffrey Hunt avoided scrutiny over Lucille's murder has been swept away. However, that's cold comfort for a family that remains deeply divided. Reconciliation between the Butterworth brothers seems highly unlikely.
4: What would Lucille want, do you think? Oh, man, that's an interesting one. Um, That's a real hard one. I probably think she'd be disappointed. She'd be disappointed in the way things have
0: gone. It all comes back to evidence, or the lack thereof. Just one new fragment linking Hunt or someone else to Lucille's demise would make all the difference. At the end of six months of looking at this case, I felt overwhelming sympathy for the Butterworths, even when they said the most terrible things about one another. All the hurt and frustration of nearly 50 years of waiting and grieving is writ large in their family feud. Having seen the the destruction of this family, what would you say to anybody out there who's still holding on to some information?
1: You'll get your chance in life to do a number of really good things and when those chances come, take them. So to those people, if you are out there, if anybody knows anything, if the chance exists for you to do one of the greatest possible things and put a family to rest who have lost a loved one to the degree that they don't know where she is still to this day, nearly 50 years later,
0: take that chance. Time is running out, though. People are dying and memories are fading. But key witnesses like Philip Harris, Hunt's one-time confidant in jail, are waiting for the call.
2: I wouldn't have cared, I'd have shut my mouth forever, except they let him out. But now they've released him, you'll bloody do it again, if he gets a chance.
4: All I want is justice for her. That's all that we should be focusing on, just trying to get justice for her. Somehow, we must be able to bring him to justice for what he's done. He's as free as a bird. No that's not right, that's not right, eye for an eye, you take a life.
0: Steel Butterworth is a real crime production, written and produced by Adam Shand. Audio editing, mixing and original score by Matt Nikolich. Executive producer is Grant Tothill. Associate producer is Sarah Grinberg. Research by Billy Simons. Listener.